It's Thursday night. Time for the Psychic View with your hosts, Miss Peg, Maureen, Anton, and Allura. During the second half of the show, call in to connect for your free reading. Join us during this transpersonal collective experience. Welcome to the Psychic View on Psychic Access Talk Radio, sponsored by PsychicAccess.com, where all the psychics are interviewed, verified, and accuracy tested, ensuring you the highest quality of quality service. Hello everyone, you are listening to The Psychic View. My name is Anton St. Martin and I would like to welcome you to another live broadcast here on Psychic Access Talk Radio, sponsored by PsychicAccess.com, where all the psychics are verified and tested. I'm looking forward to another thought-provoking show tonight and um, I have with me my charming co-hosts. Hello ladies, welcome back. Are you excited about today's show? I am and I know tonight's show is going to be very unique full of valuable information, so I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks, Anton. Yeah, and, you know, I as well agree with that. I think this show is going to be very good. I think a lot of people don't maybe have an understanding of what this topic is about, and so I really feel good. So thank you, Anton, for, for get, getting on this. <laughs> yes, I think it's going to be very interesting, and we've got a very interesting guest tonight. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, please note that Miss Peg is on holiday this week, and we are, of course, um, all green with envy. Um, yeah. So enjoy your vacation, Miss Peg. We look forward to having you back on the show next week. Uh, taking Miss Peg's place on the show today is our colleague um, at Psychic Access, with the, the lady with the magical voice, Res Miranda. Welcome, Res Miranda. Thank you for standing in for Miss Peg this week. Oh, my goodness. It's my great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to tonight's show very much. Today we are exploring the mysterious world of New Age cults. Upon hearing the word cult, many of us tend to think of things like satanic worship, bizarre pagan rituals, or animal sacrifices. But the truth is that a cult is not a church or organized group as such. Neither is it an evil sect or a secret society. Contrary to popular belief, cults are not necessarily bad or evil. In fact, cults are the, at the core of every world religion, and cults are also the basis of all other forms of worship, no matter what your belief system might be. Um, but have you ever considered the possibility that your favorite New Age guru or channeler or seminar leader or inspirational author may be a cult leader in the making? A cult is indeed a system of religious worship and ritual, which in itself can be benign or harmless, but cultist religions or sects tend to be extremist, and they usually feature an obsessive devotion to a person or a principle or even an object. This devotion is typically brought about by thought reform and mind control, and that, this is where the problem comes in. It's a mistake to believe that cults are all about weird pagan rituals, hippies in a trance dancing around with tambourines, or groups of depressed drug addicts making suicide pacts. Anyone can potentially become the victim of a cult. 
It is not something that only happens to other people. And um, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how well-informed you are. You can um, uh, easily fall prey to something like this. Now, to tell us more about the danger signs that we need to look out for and how to know for sure we are not being subjected to some form of mind control, our guest today is Joe Simart. Joe is an international cult information consultant, an intervention specialist, and an exit counselor. Joe has been dealing head-on with controversial cults and their leaders since the 1980s. And this actually started for him after he ended his own two-year devotion to a New Age sect, um, which at that time was called the Church Universal and Triumphant. Joe has traveled all over the globe to conduct interventions on behalf of the families of cult victims, and he has personally helped hundreds of victims escape and recover from cult activities. Joe will share his knowledge and experience with us, and he will also warn us against some of the danger signs. So uh, stay tuned for that. And also remember, in the second half of our show, we will once again be accepting questions from you for on-air readings. So uh, in the meantime, get your pen and paper ready because we are going to announce a call-in number later in the show um, for you to get a free reading from us. And we'll also be taking questions in the chat room as usual. If you are new to the show, we would like you to, uh, to join us in the chat room. Um, all you need to do is just go ahead and log in right now on the main page on our website. Um, if you weren't able to catch our Psychic Confession show last week, uh, you will find a recorded archive link as well as archives for all the other previous shows right here on our website at psychicaccesstalkradio.com. And then also, if you are interested in reading more about spiritual subjects like the one we are discussing tonight, please um, stop by sometime when you have a moment um, at our new blog site for Psychic Access. It's called Psychic Bloggers, and you will find it at psychicbloggers.com. And you will find all kinds of interesting blogs that are posted there on a daily basis. Right, so moving along, um, I thought this week um, in our uh, Hot Topics section, um, I will have a look at some uh, of the more bizarre religions and cults that uh, we can find all over the world. Uh, the first one is the Church of Euthanasia. Now, um, I don't know, ladies, have you ever heard of this group? Because they seem really bizarre. Have any of you heard of this? I have yeah. never heard of it, but euthanasia is already a red flag. The name. <laughs> the name. Yes. Well, get this. The, one of the slogans that they, this group uses is save the planet, kill yourself. The uh -huh. group is well known for its conflicts with anti-abortion Christian activists. And according to the church's website, um, their one commandment is thou shalt not procreate. And uh -huh. they further assert four principal pillars in their, in their religion, which is suicide, abortion, cannibalism, which, of course, is strictly limited to consumption of the already dead, and any sexual act not intended for procreation. That is what this whole religion is built on. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's amazing. I, you know, it's amazing that people can, I don't know. It's hard do to you think they're serious? I'm sure they are. Yeah. Why? Yeah, it just, I'm, I, it just, um, it's shocking because that is so blatantly obvious, I guess. I don't know how they market themselves or how they, how they, you know, kind of somehow insidiously get people involved. But it's, yeah, that, that would be very scary. Yes. It might be important to point out at this stage that, you know, just um, this is like an extreme example of a, of a cult group. Um, but um, the, the, 
some of the very dangerous ones are not not this extreme or this bizarre or weird. So, um, you know, don't make that mistake that it would always be, you know, in this form. Um, another group is the Nation of Yahweh. Um, this is a predominantly African-American religious group that is an offshoot of the black Hebrew Israelites line of thought. And this group believes that black people are the true Jews and that white people are white devils. In addition to this, they claim the group believe that their leader had, a, uh, the leader doesn't uh, live anymore. He died recently, but they believe he had a messianic mission to vanquish whites and that they helped uh, view similar to the Christian identity movement. There's also realism. They believe in scientifically advanced humanite extraterrestrials known by our primitive ancestors as Elohim, or those who came from the sky. Um, and they believe that Elohim synthesized life on earth through mastery of genetic engineering. Then there's the creativity movement, which is a white supremacist organization that advocates a white religion called creativity. So now we have the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, they are anti-Christian in a contemporary sense, and they also deny the Holocaust. They say the Holocaust never happened. Um, some of their commandments include that they need to populate the earth with white people exclusively, that other colored races are inferior and the deadly enemy, um, and that they need to destroy and banish all Jews um, uh, from society. There's also the body of Christ, which is a small authoritarian group that relies on direct revelation and not the Bible for its direction. Um, ladies, you might have heard of them. They were, in, uh, they were quite a bit in the news uh, some time back because of the two small children that died. Oh, right. Have you oh, heard wow. of this? Yeah. Um, well, th there was a boy, Samuel. He was 10 months old, and he's actually the son of the cult founder. And he died of malnutrition because he was not fed because they were waiting for a sign from God to feed him. And there was also another child, Jeremiah, that died shortly after childbirth, reportedly due to the lack of basic medical care. Once again, uh, they were waiting for a sign. Um, oh, wow. And I believe there's some, there was some sort of legal action because of that. Then here's a very um, strange and wonderful one, is the Church of Maradona. Um, it's Iglesia Maradona was um, a, a very well-known Argentine football player. Uh, actually, his name is Diego Maradona. Um, and it's believed that he is the best, one of the best um, football players that ever lived. Um, and uh, there's a church that was based on, was founded in 1998 on his 38th birthday. Um, and they had, uh, but they only had their first gathering in 2001. And it's believed that there are about 80,000 members in this church in 60 countries all over the world. And then finally, we've got Heaven's Gate, which I think is quite famous in America, as far from, from what I can understand. This yes. group uh, was committed to uh, to suicide. Uh, they took um, they took their souls to a spaceship behind Comet Haley Bob. The the leaders of the group claimed to have arrived via UFO from another dimension, and they told the group that they would return via a secret process, which they taught to the cult members. And um, and this led to a very tragic end because, um, you know, uh, 39 members of the cult actually uh, committed suicide together. Uh, Maureen, you have a personal memory connected to this event, don't you? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, it, I, it was March 26, 1997, and I remember it very well. My brother, um, I lived 
I lived in San Diego now, but I lived a few hours away at the time. I came up for a visit because um, I knew the comet, uh, Haley Bop, yeah, Haley Bop was going to be coming by, and he he had a big old telescope, and he has these, these mansions in Rancho Santa Fe and Fairbank. Fairbanks Ranch, they're like huge. They're like $10 million mansions. So I went up there, and I got myself prepared with the telescope off the west wing of the balcony. And I was looking up because I did hear a lot about these heaven gate people. Well, not that they were all going to do themselves in, but I did hear about that. They were going to jump on that comet and go. <laughs> so I later found out, it was very disturbing, that while I was watching this, Heaven's Gate was actually four mansions away from my brother. And when I say mansions, it's because, you know, it was like mansions are not like right next door to each other. So it was in the same, you know, it would be like, you know, a couple houses away for regular houses. But at that time, and I was thinking about the the following day when I heard about this, they had rented this place for like $10,000 a month, this home, to to do their deed. Wow. So it was pretty intense. It was really something because I was watching that and they were doing they had their own agenda, but it broke my heart. Yes, we were talking earlier about the video footage that they took because they actually, you know, they 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 took a video of themselves uh, doing all of this. And um, I, re- I I distinctly remember seeing with a guy that a young guy coming out um, with a uniform showing the badge on his sleeve. And uh, uh, what what really hit me was uh, the excitement in his face. He was so happy and excited about you know going going away and all of this. And it's it's actually very tragic. Very much so. And, you know, thinking about the whole the energy, I get chills thinking about, you know, when I was up there, you know, I love looking at the sky. We all do. And the comet, the beautifulness of it all. And to think these people really, really, really believed that they were going to jump on top of there. Maybe they did. I don't know. But I doubt it. I, well, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. But it's really devastating to hear that they did, like he looked really happy, like you're saying. that. What a great ride. That would have been a, a lifetime, really, if we knew for sure. You know, yeah, then, yeah, sad. Yes, and I think, um, you know, like I said earlier, I think it's just important to also realize that, you know, we've highlighted some of the really more bizarre and weird uh, cults out there. But um, uh, we will probably see tonight with our guest um, that um, some of these cults are much less strange, and um, um, and it, it's very easily easy for anyone to to get involved with something like that. But before we go on to that, um, it's time for our planetary weather. Now, since Miss Peg is not here this week, um, we have decided res- to ask Resmiranda to read it for us. So, Resmiranda, what's happening in our solar system this week? Uh, yes, let's all stay put right here on planet Earth while we wonder <laughs> <laughs> what's coming up from August 19th to the 26th. On August 20th, Neptune is at what's called an opposition. The blue planet will be at its closest approach to Earth, and you don't have to leave Earth to see it, I feel like I need to add. This is the best time to view Neptune, although it will only appear as a tiny blue dot in all, but the most powerful telescope, so you really got to have a good one to look at it. There's no uh, shortage of imagination uh, when this happens. Uh, When the moon is in conjunction to Neptune in the natal chart, there is a powerful need for a creative outlet for everyone's imagination at this time. Intuitive and dreamy, creative people feed on inspiration. They want to connect to something higher than themselves, to rise above the mundane. Neptune is the planet of dreams and delusions, ideals and imagination. 
when it transits, it spreads tinsel and gossamer over everything it touches. Don't you just love that? Neptune can make anything look better or worse for that matter. But in both cases, it's really only image. But without the ideals of Neptune, what would there be to strive for? And what would any of us be without a dream? We have a full moon on Tuesday the 24th. This full moon in Pisces will help us to make better use of our creativity, enhance our creative ability and artistic skill, and enable us to improve our relationships. Pisces is a mutable site, making it about dissolving, shuffling pieces, new combinations, that sort of thing. Full moons illuminate the depths and meanings in relationships and events. A good time to have dinner with a friend who you know might be feeling kind of achy. Keep your schedule as clear as you can for just relaxing and even a little daydreaming during this full moon. Speak from your heart and let yourself feel deeply this coming week. Make sure to find some time to be with the people that you love. This month's full moon is called the Sturgeon Moon, according to the Old Farmer's Almanac. This, of course, due to the sturgeon that can be caught at the Great Lakes in the upper United States during this time of year. All full moons draw attention to themselves by the way they dominate the sky from dusk to dawn. We end this week's weather with a quote from G.K. Chesterton, who Chesterton, pardon me, who reminds us where people stop believing the truth, they do not start to believe in nothing. They start to believe in anything. How apropos, considering what we just heard about. Over to you, Anton. Thanks so much, Rez. That was wonderful. And thank you to Ms. Pig for writing the planetary weather for us for this week um, before she went on, on vacation. Um, ladies, as far as I know, isn't Mercury also going retrograde again tomorrow? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah, sure. I think it's the, the, the I think it's August the twentieth yes. that Mercury is going retrograde. If so, um, please make sure that you um, uh, plan your uh, tra- travel arrangements very well, and um, you might have problems with communication and that sort of thing. So just be on the lookout for that. And uh, with that, it's time for us to uh, introduce our special guest for this week, Mr. Joe Simhart. Joe is an international cult information consultant. And he is an expert on controversial or high-demand religious groups and cults that use undue influence and thought reform techniques. His deep interest in this field began in 1980 after he ended his two-year devotion to a New Age sect called Church Universal and Triumphant. And Joe then set out to help persons with similar problems. Um, He began to work as a professional intervention specialist and ex-counselor in 1986, which he now does on an international scale. Uh, Joe also works as a crisis caseworker at a psychiatric emergency hospital and is also a drug and alcohol therapist. Joe also consults uh, as an expert witness and appears in court on behalf of cult victims. And through his intervention, he has personally helped several hundreds of persons and family families impacted by cult activity internationally. Um, Joe has made numerous television and radio appearances, and his work has been documented in several books. Um, For instance, the 1994 NBC TV movie, Moments of Truth, A Mother's Deception. Um, It's a movie about a middle-aged woman controlled by a psychiatric cult. Um, And this movie was based on Joe's casework and his script consultations. Uh, Joe has also consulted with CNN, Dateline, MTV, Court TV, um, 
and for uh, uh, also for a TV show called Prophecy in 1997. Welcome to the Psychic View, Joe. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me on. It's really great to have you here. Thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge and experience with us. Um, Joe, before we get started, I just um, I think we should just make maybe make it clear what our goal is with this interview. That we're not really here to debunk anybody's belief system or to ridicule, you know, what whatever it is, whatever religion or spiritual belief system anybody might um, hold. Uh, well, yeah, you know, essentially, I, I I tell people in my work that it's not about beliefs so much uh, that that, that uh, people. Uh, Hire me to help them. It's about the conduct or the behaviors that that result from uh, uh, a leader's direction or a, a, a group affiliation. That and, and that behavior can uh, be detrimental to the people involved and, and maybe to the people left behind uh, once a person joins one of these groups and uh, decides to uh, disenfranchise themselves from friends, family, and so forth. Yes. So, so it's really so more about Joe's conduct than it is about the belief. Uh, yes, the, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, Joe, to start us off, um, um, what exactly is a cult? Uh, you know, what? How would you define a cult, and and what is a cult not? Yeah, the cult has become the c word uh, in in sociology. They don't like the word anymore among the academics. But academically speaking, cult has always meant, uh, you know, in the literature, just a, a system of devotion. Uh, to, and sometimes ritual directed to a person, an idea, or an object. Uh, you know, for example, uh, uh, there's the cult of saints in in the Catholic Church, and there's devotion directed toward a person there. Uh, there's uh, a cult of an object in Islam with the uh, like the Kaaba with with the black stone supposedly that came from the sky. Um, you know, in, in terms of cult of ideas, for instance, there's a small cult that's called a flat Earth society, and they believe that the Earth is flat. So, you know, you have variations on this theme. But, but what we generally talk about uh, in, in modern uh, uh, conversation and in the press about cults is, is you know, they, they tend to look at something that's a bad group or a group that's misbehaving or, or some organized effort that uh, is, is very devotional and, uh, and, and is dangerous at the same time. But Joe, is it not true that, that all religions and belief systems basically originate from cults? Um, you know, I, I'm thinking uh, of Christianity, for instance. And, you know, at the beginning of Christianity, uh, Jesus and his followers were basically, you know, the start of a cult. With a, of a cult. Um, and if this is the case, uh, is it not possible that, that's, that a belief system or a group that is currently considered a cult may become a world religion one day in the future? Yeah, certainly. That, that's always a possibility. It, it depends on their conduct and their ability to adapt socially to the surrounding uh, cultures and, and to the environment. You know, for example, uh, there were a lot of Gnostic cults, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, back in the first, second, and third centuries that were in competition with early Christianity and, and existing Judaism. Um, uh, some of those Gnostic cults, not all, believed in uh, something similar to what you mentioned earlier, the cult of euthanasia, meaning that this entire world is a miscreation uh, created by a, a, a false deity and uh, that the human body is actually a mistake, uh, that we should not procreate, uh, that uh, essentially we should ignore all rules on this earth, uh, all scientific as well as uh, uh, local and uh, uh, government, and, and that in fact uh, 
the, the goal is that there should be no physical reality whatsoever in that belief system. So th that's one form of Gnosticism, which you find creeping into some of the modern cults today. Um, uh, you, Joe, you, uh, when we spoke earlier, you talked about uh, that, that all religions have a foundation myth. Can mm -hmm. you um, elaborate on that a bit? What is that all about? Well, um, well, let's look at Buddhism, for instance. Uh, Buddhism certainly was uh, started by an individual, uh, unlike Hinduism, which we have no person that started that uh, amalgam of, uh, of, of, of spiritual uh, uh, ideas and rituals. Uh, but in Buddhism, the foundation myth is about his, his birth, uh, of course, the story of Siddhartha leaving his uh, wife and young child. Um, he was a wealthy prince, and he wanted to go out and seek out the truth and uh, became enlightened, or the Buddha. Um, there's a certain uh, mythology that goes along with that, along with attendant miracles and, and, and so forth around his uh, teaching. Um, uh, and, and that would be the foundation myth. Uh, it has, the myth is splintered into uh, two main divisions, the Mahayana and the Theravada uh, tradition. So you have maybe two forms of the foundation myth in that. Uh, but but in, in a sense, the foundation myths of any religion can't necessarily be questioned. Uh, uh, they tend to be out of the realm of, um, of uh, scientific examination or even historical uh, um, evidential uh, approaches. And, and so they are what Rudyard Kipling would have called a just-so story. And, um, uh, but now, you know, the question is what happens after the foundation myth? What kind of behaviors do, do people uh, uh, exhibit? Uh, in, in, in their devotion to that myth. It's not so much whether yes. the myth is false or true. Um, yes. You know, yes. So that, that's, that's really, I think, what we're talking about. I think. Uh, does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. And it's ve I think it's very important to make that distinction, that it's not about what people believe in. It's how, it, how those beliefs make them behave or how they be behave around those beliefs or when they while they practice those beliefs um, I'm sure Joe you would agree that you know there's nothing wrong with having a belief system or following a certain religion um, but uh, why are cults or sects considered problematic then you know if it's just a belief in something or someone less conventional or not true what sort of behavior you know what well, if we're talking about people behaving badly because of what they believe what sort of behavior would that involve uh, all right let me uh, back up a little bit um, uh, there's a, a professor who uh, I like his book called uh, them and us uh, professor Arthur Dykeman and he analyzes cult behavior, you know, not, not the characteristics of a cult, but what are the behaviors and the, uh, the, the four things he comes up with are that there is a, uh, um, a compliance with a group, uh, dependence on a leader, uh, devaluing of outsiders, and avoiding dissent. Those are the four categories. Now, when those turn into extremes, you can end up with serious problems. For instance, devaluing outsiders are what Robert Lifton called the dispensing of existence in his analysis of totalism. Uh, that that might appear as, for instance, um, I have a case going on right now where a young lady got involved in a Bible cult in the United States, and and she has shifted her allegiance to the leader and the group, and and essentially uh, the group teaches that that if um, her family doesn't believe as she does, she has to shun them, and so she's cut off complete communication. And this is, of course, based on a Christian principle uh, or a pseudo-Christian principle. So that would be the devaluing of the outsider. 
Um, and again, avoiding dissent is she refuses to talk or discuss about her belief system and, and about the behaviors in it. Um, it depends on the leader in that case, again, is the preacher. And compliance with the group, uh, she's adapted like a lot of people do when they sort of fall in, 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 in love or in, um, in affiliation with a group. They begin to adapt to the behaviors around them. It's just a normal human instinct yeah. to do that, and, and that's what she's done. You know, so those um, uh, uh, four, four um, uh, characteristics of cult behavior are apparent in that, and that's one way to analyze it. That's one way I break it down to help yeah. families understand what's going on. Um, yeah, and that's pretty dangerous because, um, you know, that causes people to become totally isolated uh, from everything that they, that, that anchored them before, you know, their they whole support system and all of that. Now, Joe, um, are there different uh, types of cults? Um, and if so, which ones would you consider the most dangerous? Um, yeah, in a prior interview, we talked about this. And, of course, at the top of my list, uh, any cult that can take control of a military in a nation becomes extremely dangerous. And we can point to North Korea. There's a personality cult around uh, Kim Jong-il. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but the leader of the nation. Uh, then you have Nazism, of course. Uh, Hitlerism, um, there was Stalinism concurrent with that during the World War II era. Uh, they, that would be the most dangerous. And then we have, of course, the Islamists, uh, the Taliban, for instance, uh, controlling military and, and, and uh, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, at the other extreme, when you look at very tiny uh, groups, um, any, anyone who can begin to micromanage someone else's life uh, meaning 24-7. Uh, an example I can give is a case I had where a, a, a black fellow who claimed to be a Rastafarian prophet took control of three or four uh, white women um, uh, as his wives. Um, those women all were abused physically. Uh, there was lurid uh, sexual activity involved and uh, complete control of their lives. They were separated from their family and, and prior uh, um, affiliations in society. They, they worked for the man. They supported him. Uh, you know, they could act quite normal out in society, but, but inside their heads uh, was the mind control or the policing of their own thoughts and emotions based on his influence, even though he wasn't, um, you know, didn't have them locked up in a cage. He didn't have to. Their minds were in a cage. So, so that's the other extreme where, where you can have a very dangerous situation when the group is very small. It doesn't necessarily have to have a gun or a military. Behind it. Something that uh, that that's uh, for me now is that what I haven't realized before is so what you're actually saying is that that something as simple as a small small grouping or a family or even just a relationship with one other person could also be considered a cult under certain conditions. That's correct. Uh, for instance, one of the uh, interesting examples, and I had a case recently of a colleague of mine got involved in a uh, relationship, and and uh, he he ended up seeing it as what's called gaslighting. Uh, there was a movie based on that uh, about 30 years ago, but uh, the idea is that, that the one partner will begin to manipulate the environment to make the other partner feel a little crazy or uneasy, unknown oh, to them, wow. in order to take more control of their lives emotionally. And it's, uh, it's, it's what's called a one-on-one cult, uh, or a, um, uh, uh, an abusive relationship, if you want to look at it that way. Incredible. That's really incredible. Now, yeah, Joe, you've got into this line just of work uh, because of your... Because one of, one, one person in the uh, relationship has a personality disorder, like narcissism or, or antisocial personality or borderline personality, and the other one isn't aware of it. But I'm sorry, go ahead. 
No, no, no. Um, uh, I would love to talk, talk some more about that because it is a field that also interests me a lot. Um, I was going to ask, um, you got into this line of work because of your own involvement in a cult. Um, please, can you tell us a bit more about that and, and what inspired you to turn this experience into a career? Well, um, there's, there's many ways to, to, to merge with a, a cult or adapt to one. No one joins a cult uh, you know, going in. They join uh, something with which they have a wonderful experience or have curiosity. In my case, I was a young artist uh, uh, in the 60s, and uh, uh, I made my living as a fine artist in New Mexico um, uh, through uh, part of the 70s and 80s. But, but um, I noticed that the modern artists were interested in uh, and influenced by theosophy or the theosophical teachings and uh, groups like the Order of the Golden Dawn, um, over you know a hundred years ago, and, and I got curious because I was fascinated with modernism uh, in the late sixties. Uh, people like Kandinsky and Franz Kupka and Piet Mondrian were all theosophists at one point in their lives. Uh, you know, T.S. Eliot dab dabbled in it as well, and William Butler Yeats also. Uh, William Butler Yeats's uh, wife was a sort of a channeler, what we call a channeler today. Um, so, so I got caught up in in, in looking into that, and I. I began to study the Agni Yoga teachings of Nicholas and Helena Rorich uh, beginning in 1975 and, and uh, that led me to this Church Universal and Triumphant which claimed to represent these Agni Yoga teachings uh, which were a form of theosophy in their higher levels of, of the school and I went out to several workshops in 1979 and 80. Um, uh, these conferences had three or four thousand people, there was a lot of excitement and chanting and uh, what they call decreeing and and uh, I came back from the first uh, conference in 1979, and my first wife uh, noticed a radical change in me thereafter. I mean, I was more you know, gung-ho for the group and wanted to change our lifestyles, everything from diet to sex to clothing to music. I mean, it just invaded every aspect, and it even invaded my palate. Uh, there were certain sacred colors that the group taught about uh, and other group uh, uh, colors that were... Uh, of the earth or, or evil, so I, I tried to throw black and brown and, and muddy colors out of my palette. <laughs> it was oh, wow. quite impossible. I, I was a, a portrait artist at the time, and naturally I couldn't do portraits without those colors, so <laughs> it was putting me in a hell of a lot of conflict. <laughs> uh, but but I, I sorted it out after a couple of years, uh, or a year and a half, and I, I uh, struggled my way out of the group and dropped it uh, after uh, some incredible experiences I don't want to get into now, but some of them were very deep spiritual experiences that led me out of it. Wow, that's a, that's an incredible story. So, so what happened? Um, just to follow up on that, I because I left, some of my friends in the group wondered why I had left, and I sat down with them for a few hours or whatever, and uh, went over all the research I had done, and they left inadvertently uh, as a result of that in, in December of 1980. And then I met a young lady at a mall where I was doing portraits. She asked me to do a portrait of her from a photo for her fiance. As it turned out, the portrait was to be for a man who uh, she was to marry at the behest of her pastor at this little four-square gospel cult in, in town. And uh, over a period of two weeks, I, I she worked at the mall also. I talked to her and I compared my experience with the New Age cult um, to her experience in the tiny Bible cult. 
And we found a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities, and she ended up uh, leading the group and giving that portrait to her parents and, and reunited with her parents, who she hadn't talked to in, in six months. And that inadvertently started my exit counseling career. So, um, you know, like, like someone uh, said to me once uh, when I worked in a factory, he said, be careful what you learn to, Joe, uh, to do, Joe, uh, you might end up doing it. <laughs> so, as it turned out, I ended up doing it as a career over the years. But it's a fascinating field, and I keep studying, I keep learning. That's what keeps me going in it. Yes, I can imagine that it must be very interesting. Now, Joe, if, if I'm a member of a certain spiritual organization or a religious group or whatever, how do I know it is a cult or not? I'm sure there are people listening out there that would want to be sure. How do you differentiate? When do you know, I don't belong here, I should get out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, again, I... I reframe the question. Uh, the question should be, you know, how would I know that this organization is harming me or deceiving me? Uh, not whether it's a cult. Because that, that word, um, you know, it isn't really enlightening in, in, in and of itself. Uh, but, but if you look for harm and deception, it might help. Um, unfortunately, most people, once they adapt to a group, fall into denial and, and into what we understand as pride. Uh, they say to themselves, I am not a stupid person, I won't do stupid things, you know, or they say to themselves, I'll know when it's time to get out, um, and invariably that could be 20 years later in some cases. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, I've had that happen. Uh, um, so, so the problem is, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a bit of courage and, and fighting off cognitive dissonance or, or the inability to uh, process uh, conflicting information. To, to remove oneself from an organization like that and, and uh, you know, you have to say to yourself, I could be wrong. And that's very difficult for many people to say, believe it or not. Um, it's very difficult, especially once devotion is entered in or some kind of a powerful spiritual experience occurs. Um, you know, how do you question something like that? Uh, you know, my, my uh, comeback is you have to question it. Uh, a powerful, uh, a very powerful spiritual experience can actually mislead you for the rest of your life. Yes. So it, it's um, it, it's a it's a tough area. It's a catch twenty two for some people, but um, but it takes sometimes outside information, sometimes intervention from someone that cares about you, you know. Or in, in cases like uh, you, know, you might meet someone like me by surprise, they introduce me to you at home and uh, say, you know, let's talk, <laughs> and maybe I can uh, educate you as to what's going on and, and help you to see things differently. Yeah, yeah. Don't you also find that uh, sometimes people? Um, uh, the, one of the reasons why they're having such a tough time to break away is that they they sort of uh, halfway through the process they realize, but you know what, this is this is this is not on, and a lot of the stuff doesn't make sense. But they were so um, uh, serious about being part of this, and they you know they wrote you know they told their families and everything you know uh, you know you guys are evil or whatever the case might be, and they were so convinced of this group and what they stood for. And then they realize that something's wrong here and that they're actually too embarrassed to admit that they actually made a mistake or that they had an error in judgment. Don't you find that uh, as well? Yeah, in fact, there's a studies done to uh, uh, demonstrate how that works. Uh, Professor uh, Ben Zablocki of Rutgers University, a sociologist, uh, did a longitudinal study on, on cult behavior. And, and he determined that what we call brainwashing really uh, is, is a matter of, of not what happens to get you in a group. It's what... What keeps you? Uh, what keeps you in the group, or keeps you from leaving? And, and he mentioned that he calls them exit costs. 
or what I call exit pearls. Okay. And uh, it can cost you quite a bit to leave an organization like this. You might be married to it. You might have invested money in it. You, you, you have your self-esteem yeah. involved. Uh, you might lose your spiritual gains, for instance. Uh, there, there's a risk in, in, in leaving uh, uh, 10 years of effort. And, and who knows what's on the outside? It could be worse. You know, so you know, one definition of a cult member often is uh, someone who delays the day they leave the cult. And uh, I, I know people that knew they had to get out of a cult, and it would take them three years before they actually made the move. Wow. You know, I, I specifically, I can name a number of uh, people that, that I've worked with that had that problem. Yeah. They knew it was wrong, and you had to get it. They had to get out, but because of the exit costs and the um, the embarrassment factor, um, uh, you know, and, and and maybe the lack of skills to, to, to start a new job, uh, they just couldn't leave. It's like being in a bad marriage. Yes, or, or like a, a dead end job. You know that you know you you know you have to get out. It's not going anywhere, but you've got bills to pay and you've got commitments and responsibilities. Yeah, that's why that, that adage that I said before, be careful what you learn to do, you might end up doing it, applies. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Joe, you briefly referred to brainwashing now. Um, can you just um, um, explain for us what is the difference between brainwashing, thought reform, and mind control? Is it the same okay. thing? Um, it's essentially talking about the, uh, the same processes that, that, that go on in terms of uh, social influence or what some sociologists call social contagion, where you're involved uh, through influence in, in some kind of a toxic group. Um, uh, but, but the word brainwashing uh, is actually a misnomer. It was uh, coined by Edward Hunter, a reporter uh, who, who looked at the uh, communist thought reform uh, in, in the late 40s, and, and he mistranslated the, uh, the Chinese word see now, which properly means thought reform, to mean brainwash, because essentially you can translate it literally as being washed brain, um, and, uh, and that became part of our vernacular after that, but essentially it, it means thought reform, and, and thought reform was best defined by Robert Lifton, who was a professor who studied uh, Chinese thought reform, in his book, um, um, Thought reform and the psychology of totalism is still a, uh, a classic in, in, in the study of. Uh, it came out in, in 1961 um, of this phenomena we call brainwashing, and uh, he came up with eight themes that uh, exist in any kind of a brainwashing or thought reform environment. And uh, the main one is milieu control. That somehow uh, an organization or a person can can insert themselves into your social and uh, mental environment so that your entire milieu is infected by or, or affected by uh, by these new ideas or new ways of being. Uh, and there's several other, there's eight themes he comes up with, but, but uh, I don't want to go through each one in detail, but, but basically um, uh, he, he does a very good job of, of uh, giving you a, a concept. Now, if you look at the book Brainwashing by Kathleen Taylor, it's an excellent book that I reviewed for the Skeptical Inquirer and uh, for the Cultic Studies Journal. Uh, it, it came out just about five years ago. Um, it, it's, again, by Kathleen Taylor from the UK, and, and she's a neurologist who, who uses Robert Lifton's uh, model of, of brainwashing to examine the, the, the neurophysiology of the brain of, and um, uh, as a basis uh, to, to, to argue for what is a healthy brain as opposed to an unhealthy one, one that thinks in a healthy way. And, it, and it's it, it's more and more shown that uh, uh, you know our, our sanity, our uh, sense of a healthy thought process in the in the brain uh, is 
reflected in our behaviors and and in fact if we're being brainwashed it, it actually shows uh, a dysfunctional brain in some ways they're short-circuiting the thought process in the frontal part of the brain uh, to, to maintain certain belief systems wow oh, that's amazing now Joe this brings me to to the whole idea that you know there seems to be sometimes uh, this misconception uh, that people who get involved in cults are either weak or weird or emotionally unstable or something like that but but statistics seem to show that this is not the case and that nobody is really immune to the potential influence of a cult um is this not true Yeah it's true I've um, had to exit counsel uh, uh, MDs doctors who run clinics from from bizarre cultic affiliations. Uh, Amazing. Uh, one of the uh, groups I had uh, encountered a, uh, a young man in an intervention. He was a medical student in his last year, and uh, the leader was one of the professors who who began a uh, weekly meetings, and it became very cult-like in, in, in the sense that we're talking about it. Um, and it was the group was called No Wave, and it was based on the Gurdjieff Fourth Way teachings. Their, their main sacrament at the end of each meeting was to drink a shot of Jack Daniels uh, whiskey. And uh, uh, despite the interesting parameters of it, again, all of these young men in the group, about 30 of them, were quite intelligent and uh, in medical school at the time, but, but behaved. I mean, they could have done what the Heaven's Gate people did. They were so devoted to this leader. Um, that, that's the danger, that the, this leader wasn't interested in, in, in ritual suicide. He was interested in um, some other kind of idea of... of, of, of uh, personal transformation. Yes. But but a lot of the same dangers were existent in the fact that they were more devoted to him and his ideas than they were in their medical training or to their families. In other words, they, be, they were becoming more insular uh, or constricted in their uh, in their ideation. It wasn't dangerous to society, but there was a certain psychological and social danger to themselves by belonging to this man's no-wave group. Um, and of course, you know, about a third of the people that I encounter in my interventions have uh, coexisting disorders, anxiety. They may have suffered child abuse um, when they were young. They, they may come from uh, drug-addicted families. They may have their own drug problems. Um, they may have personality disorders like narcissism, you know, and, and so forth. And so it, it becomes a little more complicated in mixing counseling someone like that because you have to be more sensitive to these other uh, uh, aspects of their uh, personality, which, which may not be their own fault. And um, um, but nevertheless, the, they they still can get the idea that, that they're being manipulated by some bizarre leader or uh, false idea. So um, they, 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 you know, they can be helped as well. But but you know, about two thirds of the people I encounter are quite normal. Come from very good families. They're well educated. Um, you know, I've even exit counseled the CEOs of uh, two companies out of out of wow. results. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it seems it can be, it can really happen to anyone. Joe, I'm really in, enjoying this uh, conversation, um, and we're going to pick up where we left off now um, after a quick word from our sponsor. Okay. A new era in psychic services has begun. PsychicAccess.com. You can connect with our psychic advisors by telephone or chat 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All of our psychic advisors are interviewed, fully verified and accuracy tested, assuring you quality service. We're living in some very troubled times right now. More and more, the world's problems are affecting us on a personal level. You don't have to deal with this alone. 
Our highly accurate psychics, caring advisors and talented mediums can help with situations you are currently experiencing and can let you know what the future may hold for you. All new customers get a free six-minute reading. All you have to do is register. Why not visit us now and get a free reading at PsychicAccess.com. Hi, welcome back to the Psychic View and tonight we are exploring a new age cults. Uh, my guest tonight is Joe Simhart. Uh, Joe is a very experienced and knowledgeable exit counselor and he has personally helped um, hundreds of people to um, uh, remove themselves from cult activities. People sometimes were trapped in these um, situations for years. Now, uh, Joe, earlier we spoke uh, briefly about um, um, finding uh, um, narcissism a lot among cult leaders um, and um, this particularly reminds me of a, a quote that you have on your website uh, where you quote the work of a certain Professor Rosen where he says that um, the whole New Age movement is actually the ideal breeding ground uh, for narcissistic cult leaders. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit more? Um. Yeah, uh, Jay Rosen uh, wrote some excellent articles about this back way back when. You know, this is uh, twenty some years ago or more. But uh, uh, um, we all have narcissistic traits. I mean, there's nothing wrong with narcissism per se. It, it helps us get along. You know, we, we we have to believe in ourselves. We we have to believe in changing ourselves. At times, we have to uh, you know believe that we're good and and all of that. And, and so these are traits. Uh, narcissism becomes a disorder when um, our self-esteem is, is so low that we create a kind of a grandiose self that we want other people to, to respond to. Um, you know, so we make up stories about ourselves, uh, we, we exaggerate our uh, uh, features, we um, uh, may even claim that we are, you know, for instance, uh, of the bloodline of Jesus Christ or, or, or whatever, you know, reincarnated uh, Nefertiti or, or, or something in order to enhance our self-image. Um, that becomes a narcissistic disorder when, when it reaches that, that level. Um, and I'm not arguing whether you can prove this stuff, but it's just the way this sort of thing uh, uh, reads out. So, so in, in that type of narcissism, um, it, it becomes a staged reality, a kind of a mask uh, for, the, for the leader. And if that person can get people to respond to that mask, uh, a cult can form around them. Cult of devotion to his ideas and, and rituals and and uh, transformational uh, workshops or whatever. Um, in, in those situations, the theater, the stage, becomes reality. The outside world becomes fallen or unenlightened or or to be avoided. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a uh, a way to. Uh, uh, in other words, the entire system becomes narcissistic. Um, naturally that kind of behavior attracts a lot of criticism so people that are in that situation will claim to be persecuted or misunderstood um, and, and again it, it's like a, a, a feedback loop that, uh, that increases their sense of mission, their sense of, uh, of, of, of importance and, and separation, most importantly separation from the outside world that they devalue because of their behavior. So, so this is, you know, I'm explaining how narcissism can, uh, can, can kind of take over in a person's life and take over the people that believe in that narcissistic personality uh, uh, mask. 
Um, to, to carry this more specifically, uh, when when people ask about this, I, I you know I point to many many different kinds of cult leaders, but one that that, that committed ritual suicide in 1998, uh, Dr. Frederick Lenz, L-E-N-Z, who used to call himself Zen Master Rama, um, had a cult following for and, and still does, in fact. Uh, but if you look up, for instance, on the Wikipedia site on Frederick Lenz, L-E-N-Z, or Rama and what they say about him, uh, you'll, you'll get a, an idea of how this kind of narcissism works and how it can influence uh, uh, people. He, he's a pretty classic example of the disorder. Yes, and, and of course what's, what's so dangerous about this, um, this sort of uh, phenomenon is that um, some of these people really, um, you know, they, they abuse their power within the group. Right, um, the, again, it's, it's very tempting to manipulate people that want to be manipulated, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and, and which is exactly what happens in groups. It, it, it's almost as if you you make this leap of faith based on some powerful experience that you have with a leader or a particular form of meditation or, or some kind of workshop they have, and, and it, once you make that leap of faith, now the, the higher what. what what's expected of you is to go to a higher place in your mind or the higher self or whatever they call it and and, uh, and uh, get rid of the, the doubting mind or the monkey mind or, or all these labels they put on what we call rational or discursive thought and uh, and stay within that devotional mind or that, that so-called higher self. Um, unfortunately, uh, you become like a puppet on a string and your legs no longer are on the ground when you're in that higher self and you, you can't really navigate on your own, you become very dependent on a leader pulling strings. So uh, that's part of the danger of, of um, you know, that's why people sometimes call cult leaders puppet masters. It, it, it's that same uh, image that they sort of get you to take this leap off the ground and, and now you're strung up, so to speak, within the uh, suggestions and subtle hints of the leader uh, to run your life. Um, this um, this brings me to to the whole um, uh, concept of channeling, Joe. Um, channeling is something that um, you know is very common in the field that we work in. So I think it would be great for us to just uh, stop there for a moment and look at that. Um, you have encountered uh, 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 quite a few cults based on channeling or channel teachings. Uh, is this something that is found in many New Age cults nowadays? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, you know, like we said before, that, that anything can be used to form a cult. It, it could be the Bible, a rock, um, uh, channeling, it could be an uh, astrology, it could be, you know, all of the psychic arts can be utilized to form a cult. And, and so I'm not impugning the arts themselves. You know, most people that practice channeling or practice uh, uh, astrology are good citizens and, and don't intend to manipulate people with them. Uh, so, so I just want to. Uh, state that, but but yes, channeling has been used uh, historically, you know, as, as a form of uh, uh, forming uh, uh, harmful cults uh, surrounding a charismatic leader that 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 believes they are somehow exclusive in the world of channeling. Uh, that was what happened in the, in my case when I uh, pursued uh, theosophy and uh, this group that was led by Elizabeth Fair Prophet. Um, she claimed exclusive. Uh, connection to the ascended uh, masters or the great white brotherhood or whatever channelers call those those spirits and she channeled uh, quite interestingly she, she could, you know, had about 36 or 37 uh, uh, personalities including Jesus and Buddha and Saint Germain and 
Maitreya and uh, many angels, uh, Surya the sun, uh, I mean just an incredible array of, uh, of uh, ascended beings and, and uh, she would channel. So, um, but but the, the, the problem there was that all this information was coming to her, a human being. So the question comes, um, you know, how do you test this? And, uh, you know, we can talk about that also. Um, but my interest in it actually started when I was in college in the late 60s. I studied William Blake and his poetry, and I did an honors course on him. And, and uh, if you look at his poetry, it can be construed as a form of channeling. And he, he, in fact, saw it as that. He was a Swedenborgian, uh, and Emanuel Swedenborg was a type of channeler, a spirit channeler uh, in his day. Um, and Blake himself developed his own system. You know, as he said, I must develop my own system or be enslaved by another man's. So he, is, he started his own. Um, so that's what got me intrigued with the whole process. And, uh, um, and, and I began to look into uh, forms of revelation or spiritual inspira inspiration, what they're called channeling. And, you know, I had read, for instance, the entire Alice A. Bailey uh, um, uh, series of books, the Agni Yoga series, the I Am uh, series channeled by Guy Netta Ballard, uh, and, uh, or uh, Godfrey Ray King, as he called himself. Um, uh, Urantia book, uh, uh, the Book of Owaspi, the Course in Miracles, the Seth material. I mean, I could go on and on. I, I've looked into a lot yes. of that sort of thing. So, so Joe, um, you know, if you if if you encounter uh, somebody that is doing channeling, or you're involved in a group that revolves around a channeler, how would you know that this uh, this person who is channeling is the real deal? Well, again, you have to define, uh, I think, uh, what your standards are. I mean, are you interested in proving whether that, that uh, uh, spirit or whatever is an autonomous complex? That's what Carl Jung, the, the psychiatrist, uh, called th th that sort of thing an autonomous complex. In other words, it's self-directing. Uh, um, uh, there are tests that one can do, and I've done with channelers. Uh, to see if this was an independent entity or really just part of their, the channeler's uh, worldview. Um, uh, so, leaving that aside, uh, let's just, just assume that uh, you can't prove or disprove that it's an independent entity, because uh, many channelers won't even submit to those tests. But, but so the, the, the next step you could take is to look at the quality of the content of, of the channel material, um, and I'm going to point to the Guy Netta Ballard uh, as one example of the I Am teachings. Uh, they claim that their Saint Germain, who was their main uh, inspiration, uh, who actually was a real person that lived uh, in the 18th century, um, that that Saint Germain was Francis Bacon in a past life, and that Francis Bacon wrote the Shakespeare plays, not Will Shakespeare. Um, that's something they taught. And, and so when you read the, the I Am channelings, or, or dictations as they called them, from St. Germain, and I read all of them, um, you see a, 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 a quite a, a dumbed-down English uh, use of the English language compared to how Shakespeare may have used it. So, you know, just on that one fact, I would have to dispense with the, the, the claim that this is St. Germain uh, represented Shakespeare in any way, shape, or form, because... Uh, can't imagine Shakespeare speaking like that. Um, but but there's, yes, there's, there's yes. dozens of other there's dozens of other ways to test the, the content and, um, and and to see if in fact there's some credibility to it or even value. Uh, even, even if even if uh, you you see this maybe as incredible, and and what Plato called a pious fraud. In other words, Plato believed that you can use a fable 
or something false to, to teach a good lesson. And he called these pious frauds. And uh, if you believe that it's okay for a channeler to make bizarre claims about all this thing, it's really the message that, 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 that's important. Well, then you have to look at the quality of the message and, and not be so uh, impressed by the fact that it was from an angel or from Buddha or whatever. You know, do you see where I'm going with yeah. this? Yes, yes. Yeah, and I guess at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, if, if even if somebody is not really channeling, um, you know, if their message is um, something that is positive or uplifting, as long as it doesn't get people to sell their houses, um, you know, walk out of 20-year marriages and leave everything behind, then I'm sure, you know, it's, it's pretty harmless. Um, but it's the, the moment that it, uh, you know, starts to take over somebody's life completely. Um, that's where the problem comes in. Now, Joe, we've been talking a lot about, um, how, you know, that this can happen to anyone and it's not just uh, stupid people who get involved in this sort of thing. Um, but, but what are the typical methods that um, these groups um, uh, uh, use to get people involved? How are people recruited? Um. Sometimes it's a very active form of recruiting. I mean, you know, for instance, you can look at uh, the example of, of, of the Latter-day Saints or Mormons. They actually send people out door to door to recruit, and um, uh, they have a high failure rate. But but that's not the purpose of it. Uh, uh, to get a high success rate. Uh, the um, but most uh, uh, cultic groups um, uh, seem to attract people by person to person contact. Uh, they they put up you know, signs for a workshop or a free free lecture or something like that, and uh, they may get uh, one or two people out of a hundred interested every time they do something like that, and then uh, slowly uh, allow them to adapt to the, uh, the situation. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you one example. Uh, uh, there was a book uh, written by a, uh, a friend of mine now. Uh, he was at Harvard University, uh, Dean's List student, and uh, he wrote a book called From Dean's List to Dumpsters. Um, he, he was uh, on campus. He, he met this uh, odd-looking character, this, this fellow in a, uh, in a drab clothing on with sort of a, uh, a long shirt or tunic, and uh, he had a long beard, and, and he was just sort of sitting very quietly with his Bible. Got into a conversation with him, and this young, this, this bearded fellow uh, told him about Jesus and the Bible and, uh, and his way and, and, and uh, Anything one led, thing led to another. He got, he got very intrigued with this simple person and began meeting with uh, others in the group um, over a period of a couple of months. Um, and he decided at some point to drop out of Harvard. And he, he spent ten years on the road with this nomadic sect that's run by a cult leader named Jim Roberts, who, who began the group in the 1970s. Um, it, 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 it has called havoc with hundreds of people who have been in the group and left. Uh, yet it all started out with a benign conversation on a campus, you know. So, wow. so there's all sorts of ways that, that people get caught up in these things and, uh, and, and emerge. Now, you know, the, the fellow Jim that wrote that book from Dean's List Dumpsters, he is now a uh, mathematics teacher at a high school and is raising a family and doing quite well in, in, in the Los Angeles area since he left the group in 1986. Um, in fact, I met him like a month after he left the group. Um, but but, um, but that's just one example of. of how you can um, a whole chapter of your life can be interrupted by something as bizarre as the, as the Jim Roberts group on a, something as simple as a benign conversation on a campus. Yes, 
Joe, you you would you mentioned that sometimes people are actively recruited, and, and that brought the question to mind. And this is a, a burning question for me: How many of these cult leaders or these uh, figures that are central to these groups? How many of them do you think are are self deluded, and how many of them are actually fully conscious and aware of what they are doing? Well, I. I, I couldn't answer that question without doing a, uh, a mental status examination of the actual person you're talking about. But, uh, and so we'll leave that alone. But, um, uh, uh, you know, my, my experience has been in, in, in through observation and, and uh, through 30 years of uh, studying this is that it's, it's really a, a mix of, of both. The, um, you know, when you look at something like a narcissistic disorder, the um, the, the insecure self that the narcissist wants to leave behind appears to the narcissist to be like a dream world. It's not real to them anymore. They begin to live in the grandiose side of themselves and want to confirm that as their uh, as their real self. And um, and when they find enough people that, that surround them, that keep saying that is your real self. You know, we we we, we like that stage personality. Um, it, it, it's a form of delusion at that point. Um, but but you can't discount the uh, the other part of it, which is intentional manipulation of, of the people around them, because that, that's very apparent when when you look at someone like that that they they make some uh, uh, very intentional moves, for instance, to uh, get people to give up their fortunes if they're wealthy, um, to uh, uh, get people to give up their talents, let's say, if, if they happen to be a computer expert and uh, they'll get them to work for the group for practically free. You know, so there is also a, a real uh, um, uh, effort to manipulate people, uh, um, even though they're deluded to some extent. Yes. So, so Joe, um, let's, get, let's cut to the chase. If someone is trapped in a cult like this, um, what needs to happen for them to get out successfully? Yeah, how do you go about that? Uh, you know, much like with addictions, uh, intervention is one way that families and or, or spouses, or in some cases children, uh, adult children, have used to the parents to sit down and talk to them and try to reason with them and uh, give them uh, 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 new information, and that that can often work. Um, you don't always have to hire a professional to help you with that. Uh, it, it depends on the, the uh, relative ambivalence or, or, or state of uh, conviction that the person in the cult is in. Um, I recently published a, an article in, um, in, a, in a magazine, uh, the International Cultic Studies uh, a magazine called the ICSA Today, um, regarding this problem of, uh, of intervention and, and uh, the, the, the stages of change that people are in. There, there are some people in, in, involved in cults that are what you call a, a pre-contemplative. They're not contemplating leaving. They like being there. They enjoy it. They, they, they uh, dismiss all doubts. And then there are people in cults, uh, in fact, a lot of them are this way. They're in what's called contemplation stage, which means that they still wonder if it's all true. They still think that, you know, they're going to leave if they find anything wrong. People in that stage tend to be more approachable in intervention, um, and, and, and if, if all they need is, is really solid information, and they can get themselves out. Uh, but people in the pre-contemplative stage are really tough to get to. They, they will become very defensive and uh, and uh, sometimes passive-aggressive. They'll just sit there and smile while you're talking and, and not take anything in. 
Um, Joe, you have worked as an exit counselor all over the world and you have dealt with a large variety of cults. Um, surely you must have had some really interesting experiences and encounters. Um, would you mind sharing one or two with us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess I could. I'll, 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 um, uh, one of the more interesting ones that, that, that comes to mind uh, with, with the martial arts cult, uh, there, there were many of these kinds of groups that I've dealt with. Uh, martial arts leaders uh, or teachers can, can quite easily fall into the, the, the patterns we're talking about of, of taking undue control over certain students. And uh, one of the ones that I dealt with in the 80s uh, was called Chengmu Kwan or Chengmu Do. And, and essentially, the, there were franchises all over the United States run by this uh, Korean fellow named John C. Kim. Uh, Kim uh, claimed to be the uh, champion of all Asia in the martial arts and, and other things when he came to the United States and, uh, and, and started these uh, um, schools. But, but the, the cult part, the real controlling, harmful part, was the he would get the instructors to become very loyal to the organization, work you know, up to 80 hours a week, practically uh, nothing they could give all they had. There was a lot of sleep deprivation and, uh, um, you know, cutting off a family and all that sort of thing uh, among the instructors. Uh, the, the average person that went to one of these schools was just like you, know, you and I, and they would just attend and pay their fees and leave and not really notice the culture. But, but from that pool of people that went to the schools, uh, they would recruit into the instructor pool. And some of these instructors would, would sign contracts, and they wouldn't get a, uh, a copy of the contract to pay the school, say, 10000 and even up to $120,000 for certain courses that the school would offer. So all the instructors were in debt to the school. And it was almost like a, what do you call it, debt of prison after a while. Uh, I actually counseled a number of instructors out of the uh, organization. And, uh, a news reporter in Chicago who had been trying to bust this group for eight years but couldn't get anyone to talk about it because they were afraid. Um, got me to appear on camera along with two of the instructors I had exit counsel and, and uh, they created a show called The Pulse and the in the Chicago news about it in 1988. And as a result of that, the Attorney General of uh, Chicago began investigating the group in that state. The FBI got involved. Uh, one thing led to another. They busted the group, uh, the leader and the um, uh, four of the uh, leaders were, were uh, convicted and uh, in jail for four or five years on, uh, essentially on tax fraud, for keeping double books and uh, not on bubble form or, or running a call. Uh, that you can't try in court, by the way, in the U.S. Uh, you can't try whether or not someone's brainwashed. It doesn't matter in this court. Um, you know, they, they don't accept that argument. So uh, that was an interesting case. I found out from an IRS agent at the time that was helping with investigating the internal revenue service. He called me and said, you know, this uh, group has a hit out on you. <laughs> he told me this in 1990. In other words, they, they, were, they, they had been known to harm people. And uh, uh, so I said, well, thanks for letting me know. But uh, you know, I, I was never um, assaulted or harmed by them. But I was threatened in a, in a courtroom by a couple of the leaders in the hallway. So, so I do know that. Fully intended to hurt me, they did. but yeah, that's just one story. But I could I could go on uh, with that. Now you know, just because of the exposed the group and the leader was jailed, the group still went on. And, um, you know, it's kind of like the, the Reverend Moon who ran the uh, Unification Circle of the day, and still does. And still living, and was uh, arrested and, and put in jail for 13 months by the U.S. government, you know, one of the more powerful courts in the world. And uh, he came out with his group intact and. Uh, 
while we're still believing in him. So, uh, you know, just because you prosecute a cult leader does not mean that the group is going to go away. Well, that's a that's a very interesting story, um, Joe. Uh, before we before we say goodbye, um, I would just like to um, uh, maybe give out some information. If there's anybody listening uh, to the show um, that needs assistance, uh, or even if you know uh, you know of someone that might need help, um, and if they want to contact you, um, you know, for for some form of counselling or assistance, how can they get hold of you? Well, my, my website is up. Uh, I have a phone number on it, which might change soon because I'm moving. But uh, but the email will be will be uh, uh, the best way to contact me, and I, I do respond to emails within a day or so in general. So uh, you know you'll get something back from me. But uh, you know I, I think you posted it on your website. It's, it's my name, Jay Simhart at windstream.net. Um, but they can look me up that way and ask me anything they wish. And I'll do my best to uh, direct them to answers if I, I don't have them. And often I don't have the answers. But I have to help them look them up. So, so that's a part of the job. Joe, I would like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to share uh, these valuable insights with us. Um, uh, I really appreciate um, you, you know you taking the time and. Um, you know, if the information that we made available tonight uh, only serves to save at least one person from making a bad life decision somewhere down the line, um, or if somebody can be reunited or healed, um, you know, with their family, then I believe we have already accomplished a lot. Um, Joe, thank you very much. It was great talking to you, and um, good luck with all your future projects. Yeah, thank you, Anton. Uh, I enjoyed it, and uh, you're a great host. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, too. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye, Joe. Um, yes, so Joe Simard is available to assist families and cult members with interventions and recovery, including consultations via phone or the Internet, um, so you don't physically have to meet with him. Uh, for more information about cults and uh, the services that Joe offers, you can visit his website at jsimhart.com. You will also find a link to Joe's website at uh, on our website at psychicaccesstalkradio.com. Right, and uh, before we go on, uh, it's time to give out the call-in number for the readings at the end of the show. If you would like to get a free psychic reading, uh, this is the number you need to call. Please bear in mind when you call this number that nobody's going to answer the phone on, on our side. You will be automatically placed on hold and um, you will only be able to speak to us once you go live on the air. So while you wait in the, in the green room, just um, sit back, relax and listen to the show Welcome until to you to. come into Please the, enter the, the studio. ID, followed by the um, and the number that you need to call is 724 <laughs> I'm going pin, to repeat the number. The 724-444-4851. That's the number you need to call for a free reading later on. Right. Wow. That was an interesting um, um, interview. What do you think, ladies? Great. It was, yeah, very good. He's just professionally sounds so knowledgeable, and he could do a lot of good, be very helpful to anybody in that situation. That's obvious. Very informative. Yes. I, I hope that he's yeah. writing book about his own personal experiences exactly 
You know what, now that you mentioned it, I actually wanted to ask him about that because um, as far as I know, he hasn't written any specific books. He does a lot of um, book reviews and stuff, but I, I really do think it would be great if he could write an interesting book about all his experiences. Um, Riz Miranda, have you had any personal experiences with, with cults over the years? I have. <laughs> Not anything <laughs> as, as fancy-schmancy as, uh, you know, the Raylands or anything like Maureen did. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I did. I was, oh, gosh, more than one, as a matter of fact. Where do I start? That makes me sound like a really gullible person, I know. But uh, one that I can pick out that I think a lot of people would probably respond to uh, is when, after the death of my mother, this was probably in the early 90s, and I was a young wife and mother then, not too young, but in my early 30s, <laughs> and I I had decided I was no longer interested in the religious upbringing that I was that I'd been taught. Um, I wasn't much interested in anything, you know, of faith based then. So after my mother's death, we moved to a small town in upstate Pennsylvania, and you know, I was still, I guess, in mourning or whatever. But I had gotten a job at uh, an insurance agency, uh, working as a secretary part time. And during that time, somebody came in the office, a young man, who was very charismatic and very friendly and all kinds of enthusiastic, and he was going to start his own church. And he wasn't a, um ordained minister, meaning not, not legally so. Uh, he was probably in his early 30s, too. And I said, well, what kind of church are you going to start? And he said, well, it's called a prophetic church. And I said, well, I have the vaguest idea what that is. <laughs> and he said, well, if you know, you know, I'm also opening a coffee house if you want to come uh, by around the corner and see what it's all about. You're welcome to do that. And we're just getting started. And so I did that. I went to, to the coffee house opening. Of course, there was music and lots of people and all that. And it was just real fun. And then I stayed later and talked to a couple of people afterward, him included. And he said to me, gosh, you know. I'm starting this church and I really need someone to be the song leader and the, the worship leader. And being a musician at the time myself, before I knew what my mouth was doing, it said, oh, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I got, um, I got very involved in that. And what it gave me something to do was my thinking at first. And well, of course, you know, I'm a musician. They need a musician. Big, hairy deal. You know, I didn't mind. But the more I attended, I started to make friends, you know, close friends, which I had none being new to that area. I began to, um, the spiritual side of me was really responding to, you know, the, the warmth, the warmth of the atmosphere and the, uh, quote unquote messages from God. Because remember, I had said he called it a prophetic church, which meant that he could, as the pastor and other Riz, are you still with us? Yes, I think so. Ah, uh, okay. I think so. Am I? Do you still hear me? <laughs> yes, um, we just um, we just had dead air for a moment. No problem. That's no problem whatsoever. Um, okay. I think on that note, um, let's uh, have a word from our sponsor, and then we'll pick up uh, where we left off. Great. Hello, my name is Res Miranda. 
If you're having relationship, career, or life issues, I'm inviting you to experience what it's like to have access to professional, highly accurate psychics and spiritual advisors you can trust to care and help you. Register now to get your free 6-minute reading by telephone or chat. Get answers. Get access. Psychic access. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. PsychicAccess.com Right, and you're back uh, uh, with us on the Psychic View. Tonight we are uh, having a conversation about New Age cults, and we at the moment sharing a few of our own personal experiences. Maureen, you were involved with the Transcendental Meditation Movement at one time. Please tell us about yes. that. Well, yes, um, the Transcendental Meditation Unit. unit. <laughs> what am I, CSI? Okay, um, yes, in 19, it was 1972, and I was 12 years old, and I was very enlightened for young, because, you know, we talked about that last week, why. And um, growing up in a very privileged home, you know, like, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, whatever. I was very impressionable. I was looking for something, because I was self-medicating, um, to detach from my psychic stuff. So I, um, there was a saying called Transcendental Meditation, and it was uh, founded by Maharishi Yogi, and and it was interesting because the opportunity to work at the first established TM Center in Long Beach where I was from as a reception at 12, I was too, which in return paid for my course. I was very appealing to me. I was searching for things. So I did complete the course, by the way, and presently I do not, I am not a TMer, <laughs> but I have been thinking about doing so. But, but what I thought found there, because people were real into it, and I started thinking, I can't do this, but really many thought of this as a cult. I mean, it was out there in the 70, early 70s. Well, this, they're all about a cult. And the facts are this about them. There was no belief required there. The transcendental meditation technique does not involve belief at all. In fact, you can um, thoroughly be skeptical, and the technique is still fully effective. So it's, it's not a lifestyle. It's a technique. It's a meditation. It's not a religion or a philosophy. It involves no change in lifestyle. So I, I wanted to point that out because, because of how ignorant, <laughs> not ignorant, not inform, <laughs> uninformed, I guess, uninformed. And especially during that time because the word stopped, everybody was looking for some, the new age that came out, that word was out. We're in the new age. Yeah. So there yeah. you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Laura, uh, you know, as we heard from Joe, there appears to be various uh, psychological processes that um, are operative in spiritual movements. Um, you've done a little bit of research on this for us. What are the most common features of a spiritual movement that has a lot of psychological influence over its members? Well, uh, the most common features are the outlook or the aspiration of the members. That's a psychological influence. The authority of the leader or the founder is very powerful. A shared belief in a scripture, revelation, or saying, that's a common one. The uniqueness of the movement, like you were talking about the euthanasia movement. I'm not sure if that's what it was called. That's totally unique. Uh, salvation through baptism, initiation, conversion or ceremony, some ritual, belief in a, a prediction or a prophecy, that's very common, belief versus intellect, uh, where you can't question things, it's a belief, common practice of a ritual, sacrifice or financial secrecy, favors to the rich, that sort of thing reprehensible behavior amongst members where they get punished. And, of course, another uh, big psychological influence is fear of expulsion. So that's just a summary of some of the main and most common uh, psychological influences of a cult. 
And if you yeah, think you about can, it, can, yeah. If you think about yeah. it, those are very common in, like you were saying, to a lesser degree in uh, religions and religious practice. Yes. So yes. I noted that. Yeah. Yes, and that can be pretty powerful stuff, you know, for for some people. Um, yeah. Reza Miranda, you you told me something about uh, an interesting or strange group uh, called the Family. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, uh, just a little bit. It's it's really involved. <laughs> However, the family is something, <laughs> aren't they all? The f- well, it looks like we've lost um, Rez again. Um, Maureen, are you yes. still there, Maureen? I'm, I'm here, um, yes. Uh, while we're waiting for Rez to come back, um, Maureen, tell us about the, the brief encounter, and I think this is going to be quite entertaining, this brief encounter you had with a Christian group who was later suspected of being a cult. What yeah. happened there, Maureen? <laughs> okay, it was January 1973. Ceasefire was arranged, which brought the Vietnam War to close, and that was, that was uh, I think, Rez is back. Hello. Rez, Rez, welcome back. Thank I'll you. Continue. Go right ahead. I'll go after you. Okay, let's do this quickly. Anyway, I was searching, as I said earlier, for things, and here I'm 13 years old now. <laughs> so I, I I found myself on a Friday night worship at this church. I will say what, they're the Calgary, and I will say who they are. But And it was unlike my Catholic school church experiences, but it was full of energy that would take me to like a higher place. I felt so in, in, intense. So, and, and, and I was self-medicating, and I was hoping maybe I would no longer need this. So the bottom line is what they did was 150 people I walk in and it was all dark and candles and they spoke in tongue and all I knew I thought it was really cool I served 13 hundreds of candles and it created such a woo-woo feeling and the inside was very nice and normal in a like a classy type of way the pastor was so intriguing to me he was talking to me there was 150 people but I felt it was me he was looking at me and knowing how much I needed to be saved and he called out to me 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 <laughs> and I felt so special and I was asked to come up um, to be saved along with with all these other people 20 or so and 20 others were behind us and and he would t- walk by us and touch our foreheads and we would all fall back but we were told if we didn't by choice want to be saved we would fall on the ground so <laughs> the person, thank God, I was caught. I, I was I was caught by the person behind me. I know. Can you believe that? So it was said that it was. So it, okay, I wanted to let this. So I was very lucky indeed. I didn't fall on the floor, but I was saved. But it lasted two weeks, and the reason why it only lasted two weeks for me, I was thirteen. As I was told, I was not to see my boyfriend, and I was really involved at thirteen. I know, young, but I was, and I could not do any of my things that the 1973 kids were doing, if you know what I mean. And I wasn't going to have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, but they were not, you know what, essentially they were not thought of as an occult. And like I read before, I'm not going to read all that, but they were not, by, by, although Transcendental TM was, they were not, and in fact that they have recently just been signaled out as being one now. Interesting. Yes, you know what? This yeah. reminds me of somebody that, that's very close to me that was involved um, in something similar, also a Christian group for the youth. Um, and um, I remember this person telling me that, you know, they used to select their partners for them and, and all of that. But what what I specifically remember was one girl, she was um, a Chinese girl. Um, um, she came from a home where they actually spoke Mandarin and everything. And her parents were obviously Buddhists. And um, they, they used to, she, they, she was hysterical. They had her in tears because they kept telling her that the, her parents were going to hell and that they were going to burn in hell f- forever. And uh, this poor girl was, you know, reduced to tears because um, her parents were so, you know, ingrained in their religion and, and they would obviously not, um, you know, accept this new cultish ideas that she brought home, um, which I found um, 
You know, it was, it's actually very sad that these sort of things uh, do happen to young people. Um, Rez, let's get back to the family. I'm so curious to hear more about that. Yes, the family, it's also called the Fellowship, is an organization that's made up of high-level people in the United States government as well as um, leaders from all around the world. And what the public face of it is uh, something we see called the um, prayer breakfast, the national prayer breakfast here in this country, and uh, things that look like faith-based activities that the the uh, government puts on, for lack of a, a better phrase, uh, to the public here. But the problem with that is, you know, we all want our leaders to be spiritual, and we all want to think that they're seeking out higher powers on our behalf and for the good of whatever nations they're representing. However, but the problem I have with this group is that they are a, a secret society, actually, and they do... Uh, use each other to further world agent, further their, their own agendas and world agendas and things of that nature. And they, uh, do take vows of secrecy and things like that. So I was, you know, it's, it's become, it, it is said of this group that it's more influential and more powerful even than what we think of as a fundamentalist Christian right in this country. You know, even more wow, uh, so, wow. yeah, more so than, than people like Pat Robertson or, you know, um, Jerry Falwell, who's no longer with us, and yeah, you know, yeah. think more more powerful than that because not just because it's um, made up of uh, people who claim to be religious, but because and, and it's not even just made up of high level officials in the United States government. It's made up of officials from around the world. You know, and world leaders from around the world, not just government officials. So to think that these people get together and they, they have, uh, you know, meetings and prayers and discuss, you know, their different, uh, points of view and how they need to lead the world. It sounds to me like one big giant scary theocracy, you know. Yes. The yes. The world is yes. being run on. You know, that's, that's what's frightening to me. And we never are privy to any of that you know we see oh big national prayer breakfast and we see uh you know leaders standing up and say uh thank god for this and we should pray for that you know but what they're trying to do really is further their own agendas and and i'm not sure that i know that's a vague statement but i think you you see the point i'm trying to make and oh absolutely yeah it's a huge cult (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I think what what you know, the main thing that I'm taking away from tonight's show is that um, um, the main thing is that the moment you're in a situation or involved in anything um, that where you are not allowed to question or to differ from from the general opinion, um, that you've got a problem. Um, that's it for me. Uh, if you're not allowed to question or query or investigate or, or even, you know, be controversial in any way, then, then you need to put up a big uh, question mark. Allura, don't you agree? Yes, most definitely. I mean, if you can't question anything, I find that that, because I also uh, have my own story where I was drawn in uh, because I was looking for work, and this group was set up as an employer. And... Um, uh what I found is you couldn't question anything. That's a big red flag. One guy was the authority and everybody looked up to him like he was a god. I had a little bit of a difficulty with that. But, um, yeah, most definitely that would be a huge red flag. I agree with you. And um, how long were you involved with this, this organization? Did, you know, did it last very long? 
Not real long, actually, because uh, I was supposedly hired, quote unquote, as an employee. And um, they, every time I tried to ask a question, they would say, I was about 30 at the time, they would say, it was the only place I could get a, quote, job, unquote. <laughs> so they presented, you know, they were a company. So it wasn't quite done in the normal way, but what they sold were things like herbs and they'd sell healings and stuff like that. Okay. So, uh, I would ask questions as to why, you know, I'd ask questions and they'd say, well, we'll answer that later. We'll answer that later. And they took me to the bank to open an account and the main guy who was supposedly the head of all this was not with us. And, but apparently the bank knew these people well enough to give the card um to, to the lady who was his assistant to take me who took me to the bank to take back with her to have him sign which is very unusual you usually have to sign in front of somebody at the bank who will id you who will identify you so i didn't even know that they owned that bank account what happened was when i earned my money i put it in that account and then withdrew it Okay. Well, when I finally, they, what your guest Joe was saying, when he said there's sleep deprivation and you can't question all those things, I recognize that that's what these people were doing. We hardly got any sleep. He would yell at us. He would, I mean, really like out of nowhere, he'd just come out yelling. He was wow. inconsistent. Yeah, inconsistent. Uh, it was, uh, say, you know, like not, you couldn't ask questions. Uh, you, you were very limited, you know, it was all kinds of things. And something in my soul just really kind of was, uh, riveted by it. And one day I got scared. It's like there's that party that says, get out now. I got really scared at one point and, uh, I walked in one morning, tried to carry out my files and they all surrounded me. Oh and, yeah, I'm telling you, it was, uh, I gave them my files. They even tried to get me prosecuted for withdrawing from my, my own money from this bank account. <laughs> okay. And, uh, they were wow. really angry that I, I quit on them. And, uh, they tried to get, because I ran into other people who would go as customers there and they said they even tried to get them to join them in the lawsuit against me, which they didn't do. And uh, it was quite a, a thing. And so what wound up happening is um, they accused me of petty theft. And uh, they they lied on the report. They said I was an employee. I actually wasn't. They made me sign an independent contractor contract. Mm. And my lawyer wouldn't use it in my defense. It was ridiculous. That would have absolved. I found out later a guy said that would have totally gotten you. That There would have been no problem. You'd have had no problem. So I had to work my way through that. And, uh, it was, uh, I, I wasn't in there for very long. That just shows you what kind of a mess you can get yourself into and how easily it can happen because I was looking oh, for yes. a job. And very innocently, because like you say, you were just looking for a job. And I think in these, um, difficult economic times we are in, um, it's something that can happen to, to people very easily. Um, I know for a fact that some cults, um, require from their members to, to actually go out and, and beg on the streets and, you know, things like that or get money for charity or, or, or that sort of thing. So, you know, it comes in very diff different forms and guises. So always keep your ears and eyes open. And please remember, if you ever get caught up in something that, uh, that you no longer can control or that's getting out of hand and you don't know how to get out of it, help is always at hand. There's people like Joe Samart that we had on the show tonight 
or even somebody just like a, an old friend or a, or a family member, there's always somebody out there that will be prepared to listen to you and you don't have to feel ashamed. Um, all you need to do is change your perception of what you're seeing at the moment and free yourself from your uncertainty and your fear. Um, and that can be done just by, by thinking about things a bit more logically. Right, and that uh, brings us to the part of our show uh, where we'll be taking your calls and your questions. Um, just again, the number that you need to call for your on-air reading is 724-444-4851. That's 724-444-4851. And please remember, you'll be placed on hold automatically. Um, and right, let's uh, find out um, if we uh, already have someone um for a reading or if we have any questions um in the chat room i don't see any questions in the chat no, yet i don't either as well nobody has any questions that's interesting <laughs> you know if you like uh, okay, well if- while, while we were waiting for that um and uh, let's have a chat about what uh, what happens to somebody when they get out of a cult uh, you know wh- what are the emotional sort of things that that one goes through um once you get yourself out Sure. The emotional pain of leaving a cult is, is when I was researching this, it was really enlightening. And uh, what I came across is a list that was written by former cult members and members of spiritually abusive systems. And what they did is they described how they felt when they finally left their group. And this is how they felt. This is what they wrote. It hurts to discover you were deceived that what you thought was the one true religion or the path to total freedom or truth was in reality a cult. It hurts when you learn that people you trusted implicitly, whom you were taught not to question, were pulling the wool over your eyes. It hurts when you learn that those who you were taught were your enemies were telling the truth after all, but you'd been told they were liars, deceivers, repressive, satanic, and so forth, and you were told not to listen to them. It hurts when you know your faith in God hasn't changed, only your trust in an organization, yet you're accused of being a troublemaker, a Judas. It, it hurts even more when it comes from your own family and friends. It hurts to realize their love and acceptance was conditioned remaining a member of good standing. This cuts so deeply you try and suppress it. All you want to do is forget. It hurts to see the looks of hatred coming from the faces of those you love. Do you hear the deafening silence when you try and talk to them? It cuts deeply when you try and give your child a hug and they stand like a statue pretending you aren't there. It stabs like a knife when you know your spouse looks upon you as a demonized as demonized and teaches your children to hate you. It hurts to know you must start all over again. You feel you have wasted so much time. You feel betrayed, disillusioned, suspicious of everyone, including family, friends, and other former members. It hurts when you find yourself feeling guilty or ashamed of what you were or even about leaving them. You feel depressed, confused, lonely, and you find it difficult to make decisions. It hurts when you feel as though you've lost touch with reality. You feel as though you're floating and wonder if you are really are better off and long for the security you had in the organization, and yet you know you can't go back. It hurts when you feel you're all alone, that no one seems to understand when you're feeling, what you're feeling. It hurts when you realize your self-confidence and self-worth are almost non-existent. It hurts when you have to front up to friends and family to hear their, I told you so. Whether that statement is verbal or not, it makes you feel even more stupid than you already do. Your confidence and self-worth plummet even further. 
It hurts when you realize you gave up everything for the cult, your education, career, finances, time, and energy, and now have to seek employment or restart your education. How do you explain all those missing years? And it hurts because you know that even though you were deceived, you are responsible for being taken in. All that wasted time. And that's what they had to write. I thought that was really, um, it was deep touching and it gives you insight as to what they go through when uh, they they leave the cult, the emotional repercussions. Yes. Yeah, I think it would be very important also for people to realize that, you know, if, if somebody in your family does come out of something like that, that it, uh, it takes a lot of understanding and, and patience and um, that you need to be aware of, you know, that it's really very difficult to do. And it, it can be very embarrassing and it's a life-changing thing. So, um, um, you know, handle it with uh, care and sensitivity. Right, uh, we've got our first question in the chat room. The question is from Shazat and um, it is about his love life. Um, he is in love with a lady called Taja and he wants to know if she's going to be back in his life. Um, do any of you have uh, anything on this? Okay. Well, um, go, oh, for no. go for it. Go for it, I want you no, to I was. Actually, no, I was going to make a little joke, Shazad. My, uh, one of my best belly dance teachers is named Taja, so I figured it was her. <laughs> Just well, easy. Yeah. Actually, no, that is interesting because it's interesting. Yeah. Oh. Good. Good. Well, Go what, I get is, what I get is what's going on um, with you two. There's negative judgment coming from some area outside your relationship that doesn't, someone's business, but it's like family. It's like they're just not on your side with this relationship. I don't know what side it is, but it looks like there's some unhappiness. It's like it's, you're just not feeling very happy. But I feel that you guys are really connected in a very strong bond and more of a you communicate more by way of um, psychic communication rather than conventional right now. So I think if you guys get away from it all, people and judgments, I think you do, uh, you'd have more of an opportunity to uh, proceed how you should and go from there. Uh, Maureen, I'm getting something similar. I'm also getting that um, um, this might have to do with a father figure. I'm picking up very strongly on a male energy, but specifically a father figure that's uh, playing a role in the situation. Um, Shazad, I do see that um, there's potential for the two of you to... Um, to um, you know, pick up where you left off. But what I'm getting actually that's coming through much more strongly is that um, there's a very good possibility f in the long term for you to actually meet somebody else. Um, I'm feeling a new energy, a new love energy coming into your life. Um, and or it's probably going to happen when you least expect it. So I'm not saying give give up on Taja by all means uh, pursue it. Uh, uh, you know, to the best of your ability, but just know that there is the distinct possibility of of somebody brand new coming into your life uh, down the line. I also have something for Shazad. Um, uh, I do see Shazad. One of the things I am seeing is is you're you are hurting. And I'm seeing spirit saying, um, look, f look at all the possibilities, not just what the one thing, which of course we're all drawn to when we're in this kind of heartache is, you know, you, you're, you're so focused on this one love. And I am seeing Anton is, I would back up what Anton is saying. There, there, there is another possibility in your life, but I also see, that Taja, there is a possibility for Taja to come back into your life. Uh, I, I do see that it will take for her to come into your life. It's going to take almost, um, kind of a bearing of your soul. Those are the words that come to me. A total honesty. 
uh, truth and what and for whatever reason that's what's coming through to where uh because that will give give you the chance to totally deepen your relationship when you bear your soul that way uh it touches another's heart and i'm feeling that uh and it 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 creates a lot of trust and so i'm seeing that with taja that would be the at, at the very least would be necessary but it is possible she'll come back on the other hand i do see other choices so I just wanted to give you that. Okay, thanks for that. Um, Riz Miranda, do you have anything that you would like to add? Yes, I could add to that a little bit. I'm seeing something similar to what Maureen um, and Alora are seeing. I, too, feel uh, like he's hurting a lot about this. I, I too, see something that mm, can be described as a second chance. What Spirit tells me about this is that it's not time. She's being influenced, got a parental influence. She's afraid. She's insecure. She's also immature. She's being held back, rightly so. She's in a very protected environment, protective. Her parents are very protective and are not going to allow her to do very much at all outside of her own traditional lifestyle. So I see that she's interested in you, but I would feel, I would say that she's emotionally too young and not ready for this. And so in the meantime, I also also see that you're going to have other choices and I do feel that there is uh, a, the likelihood that you'll hook up with her uh, a couple of years down the road when she's had a chance to become more independent but right now it's something that's simply not meant to be but I, I just want to encourage you that you're not going to feel the sense of, of loss for, for a long time you're not going to feel empty like you do right now for a long time be encouraged Awesome. Thanks so much, Rez. Um, it doesn't look like we have uh, any more questions at the moment. Um, so I thought we might uh, uh, maybe talk a bit more about our topic. Um, Rez Miranda, what did you learn from tonight's show? What, what are you taking away from this? Well, what stands out to me the most is something about personal power. So many of us are looking for help from somewhere outside of ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. What happens, what's wrong, what makes it wrong later is when we give our power completely over to someone else or something else uh, that we think we need to validate us and to give our life meaning. And I think that more than anything came through. Um, we're all human and we're all subject uh, to things like that in uh, vulnerable times in our lives. But I would say that I know for a fact that readers like myself, Miss Peg, you guys, for a fact, we're all about teaching our clients and our friends how to have our own personal power, how to develop our psychic abilities and develop our awareness and come to a point in our lives where we're not prey for people in organizations like that. So don't beat yourself up if you have been or if you are. But please know that we are here for you to help you avoid that and help you understand that and help you become the powerful being you're meant to be. And I think that's what it's all about. It's for you so you don't need us or need them. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, that's excellent. Oh, that's yeah, probably absolutely. the best message Yeah, out of all of this. Absolutely. Right. Uh, thanks for that, Rez. We've got a question from Beth in the chat room. Beth wants to know, um, should she move to Atlanta? 
Um, what are you ladies getting on that? Okay. Um, you know, I get a feeling that she's waiting for something, like waiting for her, waiting for something that she's put out there, like that waiting for the ship to come in type of thing. But I feel that she has a good reason. She's waiting for something she's put out there. So before she moves, I, I feel, before she moves, or the idea of moving, I think she needs to be hanging there a little bit longer because I think something will be coming towards her. It could be something of a, a project energy or creativity, something she's, she put out there and that's waiting to come back. And I feel that it's just a little bit longer. And then I would suggest thinking more seriously about perhaps going forward with where you want to move. If that helps, I hope. I get I get something similar that yes uh, Atlanta would be a good move but I would wait first uh, I'm getting that there's something that you're not either aware of or that you're not seeing yet that is important to come to fruition before you leave so before you act on it I would uh, give it more time yeah I just have one quick thing about it too if I may you uh sure. Atlanta would be a wonderful place for you. Spirit says, don't be in such a hurry. If you're going to do it, do it right. Take your time and you will accomplish the things you want to accomplish before that you need to do in order to get there. And that's that. Awesome. Yes. Um, yeah, I think you're all spot on with that. Um, I'm not participating too much with this because um, uh, Beth is one of my clients. But, um, yes, uh, I think it's very good advice that you're giving her. Right. Um, then we also have a question from um, – are we still waiting for Cheryl's question? Oh, she, oh, yeah. she has a question. There it is. Okay. We'll do Cheryl, and then after that we'll do uh, the question from Sedona. Uh, yes. First, Cheryl, um, the person that she has – uh, Cheryl says, the person I have a lot of synchronicities with, we may meet up uh, next week for dinner. Will we or won't we? So Cheryl wants to know the person that she's having so many synchronicities with, uh, they might be meeting up for dinner next week, and she wants to know if this is going to happen. I'm not jumping on this one first. <laughs> well, uh, actually, I get that. If there's a date set up, yes. Now, I don't know if you're asking if you'll bump into each other. I'm The, the, the point of view I'm um, kind of jumping off from is that you will have set up this date with each other. If that's the case, I see that you will. Yes, I'm getting the same. I, I think your concern, Cheryl, is that this person has let you down in the past. Um, but what I'm getting is that um, you don't have to worry. Um, you know, he, he's going to stick to his commitment. Yes, I agree. I see. I see two different male energies, both very positive. But I do. I feel very yes, and it looks very nice. And I can go into anything else. I'm picking up other things, but not to do with your question. So I feel that you you will definitely. Is that to answer the question? Yes. It will, definitely. There's two men, actually. I see him. Oh, nice. <laughs> a twofer. <laughs> but why, you know what I mean. Okay, you're having two dinners out. <laughs> Riz, you also wanted to contribute something? Yes, I'm seeing that, boy, with Page of Pentacles and Ace of Pentacles, he was immature before, at least that's the perception that you had. But in the Ace of Pentacles, in the card itself, the pentacle is much bigger. The coin is, like, really big. 
<laughs> as opposed to in the Page of Pentacles, and it's really itty-bitty. So this means that, <laughs> this may sound silly, but this is the way Spirit's given it to me. Um, he's uh, he's grown up, he's mature, the Pentacles bigger, meaning the opportunity will be there, and he's not going to blow it this time. He's determined not going to blow it this time. So I agree that there's going to be some competition there. Uh, you're going to have a decision to make. Oh, how awful. A choice between two men. <laughs> Yes, I like it. Can it go be? Wish, right? Wish I had that problem. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we're moving. Sorry, Maureen. We're moving on to our next question. It's a question from Sedona. Sedona wants to know: Should I retire? She wants to know if all we should, all of us should retire. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Is it mean like now or this yeah, year or this I month? I was saying. Pardon? We're, we're I'm sorry. We're our own and we're going to. Yes. Like the cult of retirement. Retirement right. for psychics. Okay. Should, should she retire? Okay. Should she retire? Well, you know what? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay, Maureen. I'm going to say, Al, you go for it. Okay. Um, what I'm getting is that um, two things. So, Dona, um, you will know when the time is right because you will have a gut feeling. Um, I'm sensing that um, you don't have this at the moment, and that's why you don't have the clarity. I'm getting a very strong feeling that I'm actually why I know this is I am um, I see the solar plexus chakra, and that always uh, is an indication for me that you should base this on a gut feeling. It should come from your gut. Um, so you will know when the time is right, and I'm also seeing that um, you need to do some more uh, planning and be more patient with this. Um, uh, Everything is not really set up right now for you to go into retirement immediately um, and that you first need to do some planning and there are are some sort of um, paperwork or official business that that you need to take care of that you've been procrastinating and you need to get all that paperwork and stuff for financial planning, whatever it is. You need to get all that stuff in place um, before you, you make this decision. Now you can go for it, Maureen. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. You know, mine's off a little. Mine's a little bit off, but then maybe that's why. I, I'm getting a really good feeling that there's something about you've been feeling kind of down and you're like maybe not feeling good in the body or and mentally, but you're feeling like it's time to get up and moving about. And I see you up at, at a choice right now, a choice of one that that you have, you're feeling a lot of enthusiasm and passion, although a lot of people would look at you and say you're crazy. Are you a dreamer jumping around and don't do it? You're silly. I say go for it. If you have an opportunity, and I see a, a partnership with somebody else, that it's not so much about, it could be also related to matters of the heart, but also a partnership with somebody about doing another, I don't know, project or business venture or embarking in something else. It's not so much retiring, it's going on to the next stage, but just doing a risk right now is, is fantastic if you're feeling just, I'd say go for it, even though people may be saying no, I'd say do it. If that's that retired, the end. <laughs> <laughs> I get, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rez. <laughs> sorry about I'm that. I'm sorry, I didn't. Just a, just a quick one. Yeah, I would agree with Maureen. I see a partnership here, too. And Spirit tells me to let you know that just because you can't think of anything else to do right now doesn't mean you should retire. 
So <laughs> give it a little more time. It's just not time, but I see a partnership and I see something else coming up for you. You're in kind of a lull right now, and that's okay. Sometimes having nothing much to do or nothing much to, to, no way to make what your, your focuses grow is okay. Still waters is a nice place to be because they don't last. So just hang in there. The partnership is coming and do what you need to do. Your way. Good deal. Um, I get some, I, I feel like when I'm looking at this, I'm getting mixed messages. Um, it's, it's, it's not a problem for you to retire, and that would be okay, but I also get that you're not, you have to feel right about it within yourself first, and then it's, it would be fine. So I, I'm seeing more or less pretty much along the same lines or similar lines as Anton. Uh, that it's mixed for you, and, and I think it's mixed. It would be fine to go ahead and retire as long as you were ready for that inside of yourself. I hope that makes sense to you. Okay, to well, that, um, that sounds like very good advice, ladies, and um, I'm sure we've, um, we've clarified uh, this whole matter for Sedona for the time being. Um, and that basically brings us to the end of uh, another awesome show. Um, uh, I would like to thank my co-hosts for being so supportive. And I would also like to thank our guest, Joe Simhart, for joining us. Now, next week's show will be anchored by Laura. Laura, what can we look forward to next week on the show? Well, do you believe that there's an energy field surrounding all things, living and non-living? That there are people who can see energy fields? That these energy fields provide valuable information about our state of mind, emotions, and physical health. Next week, join us as we explore the realm of auras. We're going to explore auras in search of answers to these questions and many more. If you'd like to read up a little bit on the subject before the show, a few books I highly recommend are Hands of Light by Barbara Ann Brennan, Aura Reading Through All Your Senses by Rose Rosetree, and Living Rainbows, Develop Your Aura Site by Gabriel Hudson Bain. Our special guest next week on the show will be Jack Alexander, a gifted shaman, artist, and aura reader. Jack started seeing auras at birth, and he has the innate ability to actually see the auric energy fields that emanate from animate as well as inanimate objects, including rocks, plants, minerals, animals, humans, and even prenatal children. He's also an artist and can draw all of the above. We are excited to have Jack on the show next week to talk to us about the nature of energy fields and how they affect all of us and uh, what Jack has decided to do apart from giving information that will be very good for everyone for themselves. He's actually going to expose me and give me an aura reading and tell you what all those colors mean. So you'll get an in-depth insight as to uh, issues that come up through the aura, I'm actually going to expose myself to do this, um, <laughs> which was a very scary <laughs> thought when he first proposed it. But uh, I'm willing to do it. It will be a great learning experience for everyone, and it will be amazing to learn what all you can learn about yourself and how you can bring yourself into balance, empower yourself, heal yourself, and all those things through knowing the information uh, that your aura field can give you. If you missed any part of our show tonight, Remember to visit PsychicAccessTalkRadio.com and listen to the recording of our show in the archive section. Uh, 
For those of you who are interested in finding out more about all things psychic, be sure to visit, visit psychicbloggers.com for high-quality, informative articles. For the best verified and accuracy-tested psychics on the web, please be sure to visit at psychicaccess.com where you'll find quality psychics and the four of us, your co-hosts, for caring and sharing and great personal readings. Thank you for joining us tonight. I look forward to having you with us again next week. God bless to everyone and have a great week. And, and with that, it's time to bid you farewell. Thanks for a great show, Maureen. Oh, thank you, Anton. It was really wonderful. I really enjoyed it myself. Thank you. Um, please note that Miss Pig will be back with us next week. Um, thank you for standing in for Miss Pig this week, Rez Miranda. We uh, look forward to having you on the show again in the future. Thank you. It was a real delight. Everyone take care. Miss Peg, thanks to you too. And everyone, love them like you mean it. Very nice. And from me, may the energy of the divine self inspire you and the light of the soul direct you. Until we meet again, namaste. Namaste.